Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Okay, raise your hand. Did you watch the Super Bowl last night? Did you go for the snacks? Did you even go to a Super Bowl party? Okay, fun fact. You know, I've learned, unless there's a good Super Bowl party going on to have some good food, that it is a great day to do something else. We went to an amusement park. It was my husband's birthday, so it was a fun day, and no one was there, which was great, which in some ways does beat the snacks that are sometimes available at Super Bowl parties. Uh, but here's what I do after the Super Bowl. After the Super Bowl, I just go and watch the ads at my timing and the halftime show if you're really interested. But fun fact, if you caught the halftime show, I put it up on my screen and I'm looking and thinking, is Rihanna really pregnant right now performing the halftime show? I'm thinking, you go girl, this is awesome. And sure enough, this was her debut. Talk about a baby reveal. Rihanna full on preggers, and I mean really looking pregnant, working the halftime show. I'll talk a little bit about that later on today. Also, other than a curse word, for Jesus' name uh, being used at the Super Bowl. People are offended because Jesus was brought up at the Super Bowl in the commercial ads. Did you see the ads? What did you think? I thought it was interesting that humor and many comedians were really kind of the tying theme behind most of the Super Bowl commercials that I saw, Uh, that we saw a comedian after comedian making their cameo. And I think it showed something important, that we need something to rally around in humor, or maybe even some of our favorite, I'm not saying they're my favorite, but some of our favorite comedians could be something we can rally around and have uh, kind of a common focus on uh, and appreciate ads that have otherwise been heavily, uh, I think, oriented with strong propaganda and fueled with politics over the last number of years. You're listening to Trending with Tim Marie here on Relevant Radio. It's our weekly happy hour. Did the Super Bowl make you happy? The snacks, food, the friendship? If so, what was it? And what did you like about the Super Bowl commercials? I'd love to hear from you. Go comment down on my social media. Tell me what you thought about the Super Bowl commercials this year. 1-888-914-9149 is the number to call in. Joining me today is the Executive Director of Integrity Restored, Jim O'Day. He's worked everywhere from Homeland Security, Defense, and Sales, to now work in the nonprofit world with Integrity Restored, which they help people who are working through sexual addictions, especially related to pornography. We're going to talk about how couples um, fight and what this says about your marriage and the two of you, even if you're dating. And again, it's a hint, hint when you are in that dating scene, some things to think about with regard to fighting. Also, dopamine and fasting. We're heading into that Lenten season. Why is it good to go on a dopamine fast? And what does it have to do with everything from food to technology. We'll discuss that today on Trending with Jim O'Day. Jim, welcome back to Trending. Trending again. This is so exciting, Timory. It feels like it's been such a long time. Uh, It's great to hear you back on the air, and I'm glad everybody's happy and healthy. Thank you. Yes, and praise God for anyone who didn't know. I had a baby, and I'm back. I'm just a few days back into the show, so it's good to be here with you and Dive into these topics. You know, I was thinking about the whole arguing thing, especially with just having had our second kid. A lot of people know we <laughs> bought 
two houses in the last year, bought one in February, sold it, and then moved to California and bought another house before the end of the year. A lot of things can go on when you're pregnant, moving cross-country, buying two houses in one year, and one of those things can include fighting. So when you brought that up, it made me think of how when I was dating Jim, I remember telling my now husband I wanted to learn how to fight really well, and he thought that was a really weird thing to say. Um but you should be able to fight or disagree or be able to resolve fights. So talk to us about this because you work with a lot of couples where really intense things come up relating to pornography addictions, among other things. And you coach people through a lot of those very simple uh, disagreements that can sometimes lead to these crises in a marriage such as addiction. Sure. And so we're going to I have five things that kind of I've I've learned uh, in working with these couples for the past eight years. But I saw a great quote on marriage that I just wanted to share. And it it doesn't matter if you've been married for a while already or you're just dating and, and thinking of getting married. You need to understand this. And I thought this quote was awesome. Marriage is equal parts. I would do anything for you. And if you don't figure out how to stop snoring like that, me and this pillow will figure it out for you. <laughs> That's the truth of marriage. It's not always rosy. It's not always going to be rosy. And there's going to be disagreements. And there's going to be times where um, you might even get really pretty angry with each other. But I think these five things, Timory, uh, that we can go through now are going to make you have a better relationship, a better marriage. And overall, that's going to improve your happiness. So it ties right into our happy hour. Fantastic. So let's talk about fighting and how, believe it or not, fighting right can make us happier. What are your five tips? So the first one is stay in control. Don't lose your temper. When, when, we, when we get upset, you know, there's certain things biologically that happen to us. Um, your heart begins to race. You, you might get sweaty or hot. Uh, your breathing gets more shallow. When you start to feel that happening, you, your brain is literally getting flooded with uh, all these neurochemicals that kind of turn off the thinking part of your brain and turn on the part that says, I got to fight or I got to flee. Those are the only two choices. Well, in an argument with your spouse, that's not the only two choices. So when you start to know, feel Jim, that happening. I think women choose keep the fight and men choose choose the flee. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> September, we will be married 35 years. And I can tell you, um, more often than not, you're absolutely right. Uh, in, in any other environment, I wouldn't back down. But when it comes to my wife, I will. I'll flee. Um, but that's not healthy. That's not allowing us to learn to communicate. And the reason I do that is I don't want to get too angry. I don't want to say something I'm going to regret. But really what I need to be doing at that moment is breathing and saying to her, Hey, listen, I get it. You're upset. I'm getting upset. I need to take a second here. I need to take a minute. And we'll come back to this conversation. Just give me a second. And if that means you need to walk out the door, uh, go into a different room for a couple minutes, do that. But get your breathing under control because it really will help you um, communicate. And understand, yeah, and understanding that male-female dimension of why men are fleeing and why women chase the man out the door around the corner to the trash can or whatever it might be because it's that fight or flight chemical that's kicking in and just as men and women we're often dealing with that differently but somehow being yes. able to I think for us women to be able to go okay I'm pestering I'm nagging I'm chasing whether it be this idea or this person out the door right now I need to pull back and cool down and for men um, being able to communicate hey it's not you I just need a minute to pull away yeah, and it's, I mean, you know, uh, pick pick a word that says that if you can't. Uh, I tell couples all the time, particularly when they're in the midst of, of um, discovery of, of a porn addiction, it can be a really bitter time for them as a couple. Mm. 
and neither one can communicate very well. So I say pick a, a silly word, a random word, and when your partner uses that word, it means time out. Excellent. Very helpful. You know, um, the, the last couple I work with, uh, they came up with yogurt. If either one of them said yogurt, well, that meant I need a break. And that really helps them communicate through this. Um, tip number two, and, and this is where sometimes I think the opposite, where, where the woman does the fight and the man does the flee. I think in the relationships I've seen, even in my personal life, um, tip number two, never interrupt. Guys are really good at doing that. Interrupting their, their spouse, uh, when, they're saying something they don't want to hear or they're getting upset. Both of you have to be able to um, contribute to the, the conversation or the argument without one or the other trying to dominate and control the other person by interrupting constantly. Hmm. So no interrupting. That can no, be a challenge. I think it, for some people, even in just kind of day-to-day -day conversation as well. So it's, uh, if it, that's a habit you notice you might have all the more so probably within the context of marriage too, when you're heated and upset. Oh, absolutely. And, and sometimes in marriage, uh, particularly for men in, in the middle of the argument, all we're thinking about is how do I solve this and make it stop right now? Mm. That's not going to work. <laughs> because there are emotions involved. And so you really need to learn to let your wife express what they need to say. And in order to do that, you need to control your own uh, anxiety to, to get a word in, to change the direction. Let them say what you have to. Um, number three, Timory, this is a tough one. Don't bring up the past. Mm -hmm. It's it's so tempting to do, um, especially when we're mad. But you can't deal with mul multiple issues in one conversation. What you're talking about right now is what you need to communicate, what you need to solve as a couple. If you keep bringing up every other time that something else happened or something they did years ago. That's a problem really of unforgiveness in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so you need to work on that. But in the midst of that argument, guard yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, against this habit, because this just creates hurts that last and run very deep in the relationship. And I think in a kind of side dimension of this, maybe you or your spouse don't bring up the past, but maybe there's been something done in the past related to this particular argument or repetitive argument that you know is lingering in the background. And so you maybe even um, put yourself in that position of guilt that because I've you know dealt with this before in the past separately, I'm going to assume the other person's thinking the worst of me as we have this fight. Or I'm going to assume that mm. person is thinking about how I handled this last time. And it's almost setting yourself up for failure when maybe your spouse actually or the person you're dating isn't actually even thinking in that direction. Oh, absolutely true. And and really the, the way to look at it is, um, well, scriptural, right? Uh, the, the scripture tells us that the past is gone, not to worry about it. Um, we're not promised the future, but we do have what's here and now. So deal with that one issue at a time that you're talking about. And if you need to have conversations about other things, do it when you're not angry. Here. So, Jim, let's dive yes. into number four. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. During our weekly happy hour, joining me today is Jim O'Day, the executive director of Integrity Restored. You can find him and his work at integrityrestored.com, especially helping to coach and work through sexual addictions from pornography, uh, that main one today, and how it's impacting couples. 
Uh, Jim, let's talk about this fourth tip during our happy hour today on how um, to really look at how you fight and what it says about you and how to fight better. So, so this fourth one is, um, I call it don't fight dirty. And, uh-huh. and what that is saying basically is deal with the issue. Don't make it personal. What happens is couples, sometimes we, we get into arguments and then we really start to criticize each other about all kinds of things. That's fighting dirty because now, um, just like the difference between shame and guilt, you're, you're attacking the person as their being. For example, uh, one of the couples I just had on the phone last week, um, they started to get into it on the phone and she said, you know what? You're just a dirty freaking liar. Oof. Now the issue started out that she felt he wasn't doing enough recovery work. That's a conversation. Once it spiraled into, you are just a dirty liar, totally different, right? Mm -hmm. Separate issue. He shut down. He didn't want to talk anymore. Um, Don't fight dirty, ladies and gentlemen. Deal with the issue and keep the conversation about the issue, even though all those chemicals in your body are going to be telling you escalate, escalate, escalate. And bring up everything of the past, potentially. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And and then finally, and and this one can be tough. Before we move on to that fifth one, I do want to just bring, when you're talking about don't fight dirty, I remember when I was uh, getting ready to be married, we were engaged, and my husband and I took this class from this psychologist, and she really talked a lot about language and communication and how when things get heated, there's language in general we should avoid, uh, such as you or always. So, for example, you know, just like you gave that example, you're just a dirty liar. Um, As soon as you start using that word you, you're usually accusing in those moments versus you could say, you know, instead of saying you hurt me X, Y, Z, it hurt. Instead, you could say something such as, it hurts me when you don't tell me what time you're going to be home. Um, it would mean a lot to me if you told me you were going to be home. You change the language to be more solution-oriented or to communicate your feelings rather than using language such as pointing the finger with you or maybe saying, well, you always do X, Y, and Z. So using language such as always to make it sound as if this is a constant repetitive offense rather than just isolating it to this particular situation. That's correct. Uh, great, great advice there from from that psychologist. And and when we're in the middle of a fight, it can be hard to do. So just like everything else that's worthwhile in life, we have to practice this. And and that brings us right into the fifth one, which is say you're sorry. This can be the hardest thing for couples. Because we carry around with us prior hurts. Prior little tiny wounds. And so why should I say I'm sorry? Because, yeah, I screwed that up, but she did X, Y, and Z three years ago. Or yesterday, he didn't take out the garbage right away when I asked him to. There's all these little things that happen in a marriage. But learning how to apologize to each other, how to say we're sorry, um, that acknowledges, I'm sorry that hurt you. I'm sorry you're suffering right now. I'm sorry you're angry right now. And this is what I'm going to do to make sure that doesn't happen again. That kind of apology opens up the door for healing and And for moving forward together as a couple in finding ways to solve whatever has created this conflict in the relationship. It lets our defensives uh, drop. It lets us take down those walls a little bit and acknowledge what, where we've been wrong and what we plan to do to hopefully not have that happen again. So, 
it can be really difficult because again, there's a lot of chemicals going on in our body and, and we don't generally know how to talk ourselves down so that we can talk to somebody else. It's interesting thinking about the whole idea of saying sorry, because I've been actually thinking about this a lot lately, apologizing. I think we live, Jim, in a culture where in some ways we kind of see in the business world this attitude of don't never say you're sorry, just bulldoze ahead, <laughs> you know, kind of similar to that whole <laughs> attitude. And I do like the attitude of kind of, you know, don't always ask permission, you know, say sorry later, right? Um, but I think in the culture, we've gone even further than that of taking ownership and then apologizing after the fact, if you, you know, maybe screwed up along the way. Now it's just don't apologize whatsoever. And, you know, I have this two-year-old toddler and they're little emotional terrorists. They're learning right from wrong. They're learning how to handle their emotions. And it's really interesting um, to see kind of this psychology of how she handles things as I tell her to apologize for something and understanding the difference. You know, sometimes we say sorry because we actually are sorry. Or maybe we say sorry because um, we didn't do something on purpose. Like maybe you didn't mean to kick your little your baby sister in the head and you feel sad that she's hurt, but you didn't do it on purpose. So helping to understand that you say sorry, you apologize because that person's hurting. Not that you did something on purpose wrong and you're sorry for the action that you didn't do intentionally. Does that make sense? I think we struggle in relationships with apologies because we want them to be genuine or on the other side of the spectrum. Um, we don't think we should apologize. Well, I think that's absolutely true, Timory, culturally now. Um, I think the important thing in a couple, you have to learn to apologize to each other. Maybe not in your business life. Uh, maybe not in your friendships. I don't know what those relationships look like, but I can promise you, uh, as a couple, you're going to need to learn how to do that. But it's not just enough to say you're sorry. See, sometimes we do that, right? Uh oh, she's mad at me again. Let me just tell her I'm sorry. No, you have to accept responsibility. You have to provide your plan for this not happening again, and then say you're sorry and ask for forgiveness. It's not just the words, I'm sorry. There has to be the, the accepting of the responsibility, the, the solution so that it doesn't happen again, the asking for forgiveness. Those are the three critical components of saying sorry, in my opinion. I'd like to drill down just a little bit on the male perspective on this. You mentioned just a moment ago where a husband will just just apologize, right? And with the point of you mentioned earlier when we were talking about fighting, that often men will just want to try and figure out how can I end this now? And so they'll apologize. <laughs> exactly. Maybe it's not genuine. Maybe they don't get it. Maybe they're just sorry they're fighting and they want it to be over. And so that's where the apology is coming from. But I was studying this a little bit recently, and you have kind of a couple positions. One, just apologizing to end it. And then on the other end, sometimes guys just don't get it. And so they're just never going to apologize. And so you have... How do you handle that for men when he's like, I'm not going to apologize. I'm not sorry. I don't like that she's upset now. I feel disrespected. Mm. So, so there's an apology, a perfect apology in there. And that apology looks something like this. Hey, I am really sorry you're upset, but I got to tell you, I don't understand it. And, and I know now is not the time to try and talk about this, but let's make a date for Thursday night and we're going to dive into this and I want to understand why you're so upset. I just can't. And so try and um, apologize that way, but you have to learn why she's that upset. And, and maybe you have to look as a man inside yourself and say, well, am I really being just too selfish? Right? Um, I'm not taking her feelings into consideration when I do X, Y, you know, I come home late three nights a week because I stop off at the bar after work or whatever it is. Um, that's really important to recognize. You may not think you're doing anything wrong, but it's hurting her. So there's something there. 
Fantastic. Those are your tips for learning how to fight better and believe it or not, that actually will make us happier. We all have those scuffles that we run into day in and day out. That's Jim O'Day, the Executive Director of Integrity Restored. We're coming up on Lent in just a week. Get ready for Ash Wednesday. Let's talk about dopamine and fasting and why it's good for us during Lent, how we can hack that brain chemistry and those brain chemicals to have a better Lent and improve our habits. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Can you find eggs anywhere? I'm slowly starting to see this egg crisis really start to creep in, not to mention how pricey eggs are. We should talk about the egg shortage. I actually found out about a really cool website recently where you can look up locally um, places like farms, so for example, and go straight to the farms in order to buy eggs. And I know, you know, eating organic and all of that might seem bougie to some, necessary uh, to others, but I'll share more about that later this week because I actually was thinking about that. And that might be an interesting topic to dive into if people are trying to eat healthy while still uh, keeping to a budget today. Joining me now is Jim O'Day. He's the executive director of Integrity Restored, and we're coming up on Lent. And It's fascinating to look at everything from the crisis of porn in our culture today to video game use to the simple use of how often we check our email, our text messages, and all those dings and pings that come up on our phones. Dopamine is a real part of how and why we do what we do today. And neuroscientists, brain chemists, they dive into this and it's absolutely fascinating. Now, Jim, you're joining me now. You work with Integrity Restored. You work with a lot of couples and surrounding the crisis of sexual addiction and specifically pornography addiction. And I remember when I was doing a lot of research on pornography addiction about 10 years ago or so, I also had a friend who was coming off of um, a round of prescription drug use and was trying to come off of the prescription drugs he had been addicted to. And I I had spent the day with him and he just kept trying to play a game over and over and over again. And to me, it felt like this nervous tick that he was engaging in. And then toward the end of the day, he said, sorry, I just realized I didn't explain to you why I've been playing this game all day as I'm trying to come off of the drugs. I am playing games to help kick into that dopamine level because there's a dopamine withdrawal that I'm going through and I need the wins in this game to help me compensate for coming off of the addiction of the drug. And I found it so fascinating because it made me realize in that moment how easy it is for us. Okay, I'm going to stop, for example, maybe looking at my screen phone all the time every time it buzzes, but I'm going to go and replace it with something else. And so part of the challenges is that we have to learn how to wean off of those high levels of dopamine that we're using today. So I'd love to talk you talk to you about the chemistry of dopamine and fasting and what we can do this Lent. Yeah, so dopamine is is a really important chemical in our lives. And and the way God made our brains is just incredible. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter, <coughs> excuse me, in our brain that creates motivation for various activities. Um the the general activities that we used to think of around dopamine, uh exercise, talking to friends, uh praying, even just watching television, that has been hijacked completely um, by the technological age we're, we're living in now. Those things, eating, uh, another dopamine-producing chemical, um, looking forward to a good meal, uh, dopamine is produced. Yes. All those things now pale in comparison and the level of dopamine that is produced by those healthy activities is less than what is happening to us all day long um, for pretty much all of our waking hours Mm -hmm. due to the technology that we're kind of addicted to. And you just brought up something really important. Dopamine is a natural part of how the body functions. So for example, 
I'm starting to get a little hot. What does my body start to do? It starts to sweat, right? To preserve itself. Well, dopamine is a part of that self-preservation. And dopamine isn't just in humans, it's in animals as well. I think, which is very enlightening when you think about it for a moment, that we need to think about how we're reacting um, to that reward and that pleasure. Uh, but you mentioned a moment ago how dopamine can kind of be a part of reminding us of that really good meal we might want to eat. Dopamine actually helps remind us about how we felt really good when we ate, and it helps us to remember to eat again to preserve ourselves. And that's how yeah, fundamental dopamine is to our bodies. It, it's really incredible when you think of, uh, you know, animals and, and humans, that chemical is the one that helps us learn about positive behaviors, food, uh, comfort, uh, reproduction. Mm -hmm. It's it's whenever you do something that the body perceives as pleasurable, the neurotransmitters, dopamine being the major one, cues the brain, you should do that again. That's a good thing. Don't forget about that. Do that again. Um, the problem is today, we are so overwhelmed with dopamine drops in our brain, dopamine hits. Uh, that our brains actually start to shut off the dopamine receptors. So we need the, the Silicon Valley companies, the tech companies know how the brain works. And the only way we're going to respond to that, which is exactly what they want, is to spend more time on that technology. Mm -hmm. And so this Lent, I think there's, there's a great, um, there's a lot of great reasons why we should do this, but I'm just going to give you a few, Timory, and then we can talk about some of the ways to do the detox. But if this Lent, you could increase your ability to focus, that would be a good thing. If you could improve your emotional regulation, the highs and the lows could flatten out a little bit for this 40 days of Lent. I think most people would like that. If you could increase your patience and, and if you could live these 40 days having the right priorities based upon your values, well, I think that would be a really, really incredible Lent for most people. And we can do all that. All those things I talked about are a byproduct of a dopamine fast. And there's a number of different ways to do it. Um, I want to talk about how to do that dopamine fast, but you just mentioned improve focus, improve emotional regulation, increase patience, actually be able to live in line with your values because you're not so distracted. And just a brief testament to that. So we cut out in our household, like the TV, right? And we don't watch a ton of stuff. Um, if we do, it's on a screen and I have my phone on black and white. And I've noticed that there are times where I'm more stimulated uh, from things that didn't stimulate me as much. I remember watching a movie like last year with my husband and my heart was racing. I had to pause the movie twice in the middle because my reaction to the movie was so intense from the colors and the screen and the push to kind of get you to have that reaction that I wasn't used to or familiar mm. in any way with all of that dopamine reaction that was, I think, that has become second nature in our culture, that the movies have to become more intense, and that it was fascinating for me to see that this is how familiar we are, that we've kind of shut down, like you said, that either we need more or it just shuts off in our bodies. And similarly, even just going to Costco today, when I go and see the big TV screens, like, it's incredible. Like, wow, look at that. That's amazing. And the colors, right? Yes. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's phenomenal. But I but, think that proves why we need this detox because it's distracting and we don't realize just how distracting it is from getting things got done to being self-aware to patients and all of this. It, I, I heard... Uh, I wish I could remember the podcast. Um, it was a couple years ago. It was a bunch of tech CEOs talking about when they're doing product development, the first question they ask is how sticky is that product? And what they mean by how sticky is that product is, is this product going to make you stay on that app or that program for longer than the previous one? 
That's the first question they ask. Mm -hmm. That should scare us. Right, it should. As human beings, that should scare us. That's why I told my husband when he was looking at the big TVs the other day and I was in a rush to get through class. I'm like, stop, don't look at it. They designed it for you to be addicted to it. And he's like, oh, Tim Ray. And I'm laughing because I go, I know, oh, Tim Ray, this is one of those moments, but I don't have time to look at the TVs right now. And they are designed to draw you in. Of course, and that's why they put them right in front of the store, by the way. First thing you see when you walk in, you stop, you watch. The colors are incredible, the graphics. And then you're doing your shopping. But in the back of your mind, you're still thinking about that television, aren't you? It's beautiful. Yeah. So, um, there's a, like I said, there's a couple ways we can do a dopamine fast. Um, there's certainly foods like sugar. Um, sugar is a real problem for many people here uh, in the Western Hemisphere. If you can eliminate or significantly decrease your sugar intake, that is going to help. The biggest thing is the digital detox, if you will. What are you going to do this Lent to lower your reliance on that rush every day. Mm -hmm. And for certain people, um, that will mean, I've done it myself in the past, you know, tech-free Sundays. So Sunday uh, in Lent's past for me were no television, no music, no podcasts, no social media, just reading a book, hanging out with my family, spending time outdoors, uh, going for walks. That's the stuff that produces dopamine in the appropriate levels, right? Sitting down with, uh, for a lot of couples, this would be, this will be totally foreign, but sit down for a meal with somebody you love and just talk to them about anything. Cook a long dinner together. There's so many ways. So for, for certain people, Sunday only will be a, a significant uh, investment in, in dopamine fasting and their, and their overall health. For others, um, they may want to go a little more radical this Lent. And, and that means no social media for all of Lent. Um, certainly television uh, as well would, would probably have to be eliminated. Now, depending on your job, you're going to have to use technology. Um, but that kind of technology, you, answering your emails at work, uh, corresponding with, with people electronically via chat, or whatever, Slack, or whatever your company uses, it doesn't give us those dopamine hits. So in this 40 days, you can absolutely reset your brain and, and help to lower. One of the most important things is lowering that threshold at which we experience pleasure. Mm -hmm. So then we can experience the pleasure in the little things of life once again. Hmm. And it's simple. Like you said, it's a big thing to cut out, but it's a part sometimes of your life that can be done uh, that are things often we don't need, right? And then to improve our quality of life with things we do actually need, such as eating together as a family, enjoying cooking, exercising, going for a walk. Those are things that should be a part of our day-to-day -day lives, yet we've not been making the time or we don't think we have the time for them because all these other things are triggering that dopamine level that's making us think we have to and we want that more. That's that's correct. And and so it it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy to us that uh I I almost can't exist without mm -hmm. this. Right. Um but there's so many alternatives like exercise, spending time with your family, drawing, painting, um, writing, calling somebody on the phone. You know, when, when, when I used to do that on Sundays, 
I would have great conversations with my sister. Hmm. You know, you could volunteer. If you're just going to do it one day a week, make that day a volunteer day. Right. One thing that really helped me was when I did create this black and white challenge. I know many of you have done this with me now, either Lent or permanently, but probably 90% of the time I have my phone screen on black and white. I take it off really to look at photos or take photos. And even if you take photos in black and white, they're colored. Uh, but the whole idea was to cut back on that dopamine release that was occurring. I remember the first week, and I've told you this before, Jim, I put my phone on black and white and I remember I was driving the car and I was actually detoxing from that hand twitch to check my phone. Because we all have it. It's actually like psychologically it's occurring where your hand is like twitching to check your phone or you have those phantom rings where you think your phone's vibrating or whatever. Whatever it is that you kind of have this feeling or thought, that's psychologically how addicted we've become to our screen. So I was kind of getting fighting this like itch to grab my phone. Finally, I succumbed to it. I think I'm at a light. Hopefully I was at a light and I'm actually driving. And I pick up my phone. I look at it and it's black and white. And I literally said this out loud to my phone. You are so dissatisfying. And I put it down and kept driving. <laughs> and that was the moment I realized, whoa, just the simple color of my phone had really had an influence on me. Yeah. And, and for certain people, this Lent, that may be the fast, right? Just changing to a black and white screen. The, the point is, do something this Lent, my personal opinion, to lower the precedence of technology in your life. Move mm -hmm. other things up in precedence. Lent is not only about giving things up, it can be about doing things. And here's something really beneficial we can do. Fantastic. And just some resources such as Jim O'Day from the Executive Director of Integrity Restored. I know you guys have a lot of great resources if maybe pornography is a part of that addiction. Um, again, integrityrestored.com. Um, Relevant Radio, I have a piece I wrote some years ago called The Black and White Challenge that I'm posting a link on social media as well as in the podcast notes for today's show. If you want to catch that and kind of how we did it, the objective, the silence, self-control, savoring life, all those things that are so important. Um, but also also, ScreenStrong.com has great resources for how to decrease screen use in your home, including whether you have children or don't, but it helps a little bit more with navigating children. So check out Jim O'Day and his excellent work, IntegrityRestored.com. Again, IntegrityRestored.com. I'll be right back talking about Rihanna and her pregnancy announcement at the Super Bowl. You're listening to Trending with Timry, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. I am over here complaining about how freezing I am in Southern California. It's been a cold winter. Some have talked about how it's been one of the coldest winters that they ever recall. Anyways, I'll stop complaining to my Midwestern friends who are much colder than I am right now. You're listening to Trending with Tim Marie here on Relevant Radio. I want to tell you thank you. Thank you for all the support you have given us over the last week here at Relevant Radio and on Trending with Timory uh, because we were trying to raise $3 million last week and we did because of you. So whatever you donated, $5, $100, whatever it might have been, you help to make the work we do here possible. So thank you. If you haven't donated yet, although we met our need of $3 million, that's just to cover basic operating costs. Anything additional helps us move toward growing, purchasing additional stations across the nation. So you can still donate. It's not too late. one 291 123 is that phone number to donate if you want to talk to someone. I'll give that number again in a moment. And also going to relevantradio.com or the Relevant Radio app to make your gift. That number again is 1-877-291-0123. And by the way, joining me tomorrow here on Trending is my dear friend, licensed and marriage family therapist, Michael Gasparro. We're going to talk about the latest trends and what's happening on the LGBTQ front, which so much is occurring. I'll actually talk about and I'll share with you this woman. I talked a little bit about it last week, but an athlete who is actually really championing and pushing against what's happening with biological men competing in women's sports and the horrible experience she went through in the locker room when a man literally 
dropped down to nothing in front of her and was standing there as they were expected to change right in front of him as well. So inappropriate. We need to talk about what's happening in women's sports today. But we have to talk about the pregnancy announcement that happened this week. That's right, the Super Bowl. What commercials did you watch? Did you like any of the commercials? I didn't notice with the Super Bowl commercials this year that there's, they seem to be less politically driven than before, and they seem to be more focused with a theme around comedy or things that we all share in common that we love. Uh, and when I say that we love as a culture, we love our influencers. And our influencers historically, up until kind of the creation of social media, have been movie stars, politicians, but in particular movie stars. So I found it interesting, uh, the different um, focus this year of who was in the commercials. It was more focused on who was in the commercials, I thought, than what the commercials themselves actually were. And many of those people featured in the commercials were comedians, which I thought really interesting uh, to see, especially at a time when we've seen so much disunity that people are rallying around something they can share in common, and that is laughter and humor. Although a lot of laughter and humor isn't something we'd all agree about today, I thought that they were doing, in in that respect, when I talk about they, those who created the commercials and were paying big dollars to have their commercial featured at the Super Bowl, I really thought that they were trying to find that common interest and agreement, which was fascinating. So let me know what you thought about the Super Bowl commercials. I threw up a questionnaire on my Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E to share your thoughts. But here's what really stood out to me about the Super Bowl yesterday. That was when I went to watch the halftime show this morning because I I went to an amusement park when it was empty instead of going to watch the Super Bowl, and it was great. It was empty. My kids and I had a blast with my husband. Um, when I watched the Super Bowl um, halftime show, I had heard nothing about it, didn't know who was performing. I started up, and there is Rihanna, and she is pregnant. And she's really pregnant. And I know that's something you're not supposed to really say when, I don't know, she could be three months along and just look really, really pregnant. Or she could be six or seven months along and look really, really pregnant. But she was very preggers during the halftime show. She looked fantastic up there dancing. Now, again, I'm not going to get into all of kind of the conversation of what word she was singing or how she was dancing fully. Although I will just say, I still don't get the gyrations. And why are you gyrating um, while pregnant grabbing your crotch? I just don't get it, <laughs> especially while pregnant. Um, but good for her. One thing that was neat and refreshing, perhaps because it was so cold and because she was super pregnant, was that it wasn't um, a Super Bowl halftime show where someone was wearing next to nothing for the halftime Super Bowl show, I did think that that side was, I think, uh, encouraging. Not that you had to wear as much clothing as Rihanna did. I mean, she had this full, big, I don't know, it was almost like a astronaut suit practically. But there was her beautiful baby, and she literally announced her pregnancy. People didn't know until the Super Bowl when she was cupping her, ch her child in her hand as she starts her performance. Now, what's really neat, if you didn't know, I was a little taken aback because I thought, I thought Rihanna was just pregnant. She has a nine-month-old baby, and she looks like she's kicking along in her pregnancy now, probably at least somewhere around the halfway point, if not further. Again, just kind of guessing. I don't think we've gotten an official due date yet. But what was fascinating to me was that Rihanna had commented that she had some trepidation about actually doing the halftime show. She had just had her baby. She was three months uh, postpartum when it was offered to her the opportunity to do so. And she's kind of had this moment like, am I really in a good place to make a decision like this right now? A major decision? She thought, I might regret this. But I think in the end, she really is glad she did. And power to her. Here she is with her second baby on the way and performing at the halftime show. And she talked about how important it was to her uh, becoming a mom, how she believed that she can accomplish 
so much more. And I think that's a gift in a certain respect that God gives us, that when you become a parent, um, you realize how much you can really accomplish uh, and sometimes also how little you can accomplish as well. It can be both empowering and defeating being a parent. And I thought it was really neat to see that confidence that Rihanna had in having her second baby and getting out there and performing. Not saying that I'm crazy about her music or anything like that, but how cool that we saw this woman pregnant with her second child, performing in the halftime show. I do wonder, do you think they would have asked her to perform if they had known she was pregnant? Probably not. An interesting thing, too, is that I know that she's kicked off the halftime show holding her stomach, announcing she was pregnant and doing a big reveal. But what's interesting is when I actually watched the Super Bowl halftime show, after the fact, the video that was posted officially by the Super Bowl, um, they actually did not show anything but her face for a good amount of the opening of the halftime show, which I thought was kind of proving, not proving a point, but trying to take the focus off the baby. But we know the baby bump was there, and that is something that everyone is excited about and interested in. And I think it's a, almost a historic moment in Hollywood because it wasn't as if she was just walking on the red carpet after having, you know, debuted in this great movie or, or you know, having just released a great song. No, here's a woman who's had a great career in music and here she is really at the peak of her career in some ways and she's showing off that beautiful baby bump. Good for her um, for a continuing to move forward in, I think, performing and showing the world the gift of motherhood and the gift of human life. There was even a moment in her lyrics where she was singing. Uh, I'm trying to remember the the uh, the actual lyrics there, but she was singing about light and something to do with life. And she was embracing her stomach and just I could see how she was tying some of the lyrics of her song into just this gift of life and this baby in her womb. And whether it was intentionally choreographed or just naturally, she's there singing these words and embracing her baby that's on the way. I thought it was a really neat moment in halftime history in comparison to moments we've had in the past to celebrate human life and especially at a time with Roe versus Wade being overturned and the pressure on women not to have children today. There Rihanna is embracing her motherhood and embracing her baby while performing at the halftime. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. I just watched an interview of a woman in tears over the trauma of having to share a locker room with a man while competing in a high level of sports. This is unacceptable. We're going to talk about this transgender craze and how it's pressuring women into extremely uncomfortable and safe situations. Join me Tuesday as a licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro joins me to talk about what's happening in therapy and LGBTQ. Join me daily 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.